Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barad. I'm your host, Michelle Barad, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, and I'm really happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create the space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I wanna say thank you to my guests on the September 16th, 2022 show, Optimal Health Strategist, Gunther Mueller. You can connect with Gunther on LinkedIn, Facebook, and at his website, dreamlifemaster.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find the complete show archives, including the September 16th show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is really essential that we share this message with the youth, but it's not just for the kids. I mean, we adults need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. The conversation I had with this month's guest really just blew me away. And I think you will find it blows you away as well. Sam Diara is a professional who has created a personal journey as a coach, speaker, storyteller, writer, workshop facilitator, educator, and entrepreneur. His goal is to engage individuals in personal and professional development. He was recognized by the Governor General of Canada with the Canadian Sovereign's Volunteer Medal and the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. His work is reflected in the hundreds of individuals he has mentored and the thousands he has engaged. Added to this are the 45 plus nonprofits he has worked with over the years. Sam is currently working on numerous projects. His area of expertise is engaging with post-secondary institutions, administrators, educators, students, and alumni to support the journey of all and the collaboration required to support each area. He is also called upon to help with organizational alignment and company improvements. Sam blends academic and professional experiences into a rich environment that captivates his audience. Presently, Sam is founder and chief motivating officer at Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting, a platform that engages his audience to define their path. He is a lecturer at the Beatty School of Business at Simon Fraser University. He also spent many years in administration, building a unique program focusing on activities outside the classroom. He saw a transformation of a student population from disengagement to active engagement. Sam's signature tagline is, everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. So I'd like to welcome Sam Thiara to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Bride. Sam, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Michelle, thank you for having me here. And I look forward to sharing with your audience. And hopefully there are some insights that will be helpful. Well, 
I like to start my interviews with two questions because I really think they kind of get into, you know, just the, the crux of the matter, right? So if you're ready, I'll ask my two questions. Yep. Sam, who are you? And how did you become who you are today? Okay, who I am is actually an easy question for me to answer because this is what I work with a lot of people. If I was to describe Sam, there are five things that guide and direct me in life. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five components have made my foundation so I can help individuals, teams, organizations, education, and nonprofits really become the best that they can be. It's also enabled me to be a speaker and a storyteller, an educator, mentor and coach, writer and blogger, entrepreneur, and a community activator. And what's really helpful is I stopped focusing on what I was going to do and started thinking about who I am. And that's really guided me in the direction I needed to go to bring me to who I am and where I am today in life. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned five things. Say those again. The first one was? Servant leadership. Servant leadership. Stor what does that mean for you? Sorry. Servant leadership to me, uh, it used to just be leadership, but I found it was too broad. Servant leadership is where you roll up your sleeves. You don't, you don't mind who gets the credit. Something needs to be done. You activate and you make things happen, but you also bring other people along on the journey so they also get to experience what you do. Wow, okay. And how does that show up for you? What does that look like? I've been with about 45 nonprofits over the last 25 years, helping them become more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So for example, the latest one I'm working on is a school in Nepal. And you know, there's always these negative connotations jumping into work with a school and are you really making a difference and volunteerism and all. But my emphasis is on action, actioning the people who are there and providing them the tools that they need to activate and to work. So what that means to me is other people who I can then engage and bring into this, that collectively we can then work together to solve any sort of these problems. Now, I am not there in a hero mentality to you know, come in with a mask and a cape. It's really listening to what their needs are and how can I support and also action them so they take ownership of the things that need to be done? Okay, you said a couple of things I think are interesting. There's this mm -hmm. word that you use, actioning. What do you yes. mean by that? So actioning is rather than me stepping in and saying, everyone move out of the way, I know how to fix this. Mm -hmm. It's actioning them so giving them the insights and the tools so that they can actually go ahead and implement it. Part of it is I want them to have the success. And part of it is when you action and you give it to someone and you're there to support them, mm -hmm. the ownership is with them and they feel much more happier as opposed to having something imposed upon them. Right. It's mm -hmm. like getting the buy-in, getting oh, the- Oh, totally. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Now you mentioned something else that I thought was interesting. You're working with nonprofits in this scenario, but you're helping them become entrepreneurial. In what way and how does that benefit them? Sure. I've, having worked with so many nonprofits, I find that so many of them are shoestring budget, bare minimum, 
with regards to processes, they're stabilized barely by grants, donations. What happens if a grant falls through? Then what? Uh, I was one of the. I was on the board of one nonprofit uh, based in Uganda, and they do tremendous work. Except what I found is the base was not stable. Everything was based on grants. And I thought, and what I mean by entrepreneurial is, instead of going to the usual out for donors, putting on a gala, I always look at it from a perspective of what's the value proposition of your nonprofit? What is it that excites, engage, and would get people to support you? So with a nonprofit, for example, rather than putting on a gala, my piece would be, in this situation, how about if we put on an education event? We get young professionals to come in and, you know, small, medium enterprises that are looking to get actively involved in a community project. Mm -hmm. We charge a, a fee for this because it's an education component. We'll bring in, for example, three speakers. The first speaker, why would I want to join a board? What are the benefits of being on a board? And, you know, how to be a solid board member. The second speaker would be, again, the entrepreneurial side of nonprofits. So how do we make it so that they become self-sustaining as opposed to you know, handouts, grants, donations? A third speaker would basically focus on you know, some of the negative connotations of what we call volunteerism or how you should not be actively involved in, in any nonprofit type of program. And then the, the third round would be having three CEOs who have a philanthropic background to say how you got involved, why, does, why did you get involved, and how does this happen, help your business? As a result of this, what, what you would do is you would generate income, mm -hmm. and then on top of that, you would now actively involve and engage young people who want to be a part of a board, but they don't know any of this information or are not familiar with it. And you're providing the tools so that now you've got these connections. You're connecting nonprofits to individuals and, and small, medium enterprises. So I saw that as that's an entrepreneurial approach to, to have it where it's more sustainable as opposed to just grants. I mean, you can still go for the grants if you need be. Right. But maybe that's a side project as opposed to coming up with these ideas that are, are more entrepreneurial. And beneficial in a lot of ways, because mm -hmm. I'm hearing that you're mm -hmm. connecting them with young people who want to be involved, but they're also at the beginning of their careers or yes. early in their careers, which are going to grow in success, connects you with other people who are equally as successful or higher yep. levels of success and those businesses associated yep. with those people. Just sounds like exactly. a win-win-win-win-win. Totally. I love it. I love it. So the second thing that you had on your list, you said five things. What's the second one again? That makes you who uh, story you are? sharing. So the there, story sharing. In what it way? It makes me who I am. In what way? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you could use the word storytelling, but that's unilateral. That's one directional. It's me just telling people. Mm -hmm. Story sharing is this idea that I've I've got tremendous amounts of stories and experiences that have happened in my life but i also want to have other people share their experiences no matter how big or small it is so story sharing is 
engaging in that conversation with people and providing them the, the forum or the area where they can actually share as well and feel like, you know, somebody is willing to listen to my story. That is so important. How do you do that? Well, I did a TEDx talk on storytelling and it was discover the extraordinary in the ordinary. We live in the ordinary, but embedded in the ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences. So what I share with people is the concept that I came up with is CARPE, as in CARPE DIEM. Mm -hmm. So CARPE stands for curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, experience. Those are, in my mind, five things that have helped me formulate and build stories. So I share that with other people so that they start focusing on being more curious and stopping and appreciating things for more than what they are. And when you start appreciating, you start adding purpose and meaning, which is through reflection and you start thinking deeper. And then uh, perspectives is where we bring in purpose and meaning in a greater depth to the reflection. Mm -hmm. And then finally, cataloging it as an experience. And I'll just give you a quick example. So for example, I remember, you know, I teach at university. So going to university, there was a door open and propped under the door was a wooden wedge doorstop. And I saw this wooden wedge doorstop and do you know what? That's ordinary. How many times have we walked through a door and there's a wooden wedge doorstop and we just go through? Mm -hmm. Well, I stopped. That's the curiosity piece. And I was looking at this doorstop and I started the A, which is appreciating it for more than what it is. It is more than a doorstop, but I didn't know what it was. And I started reflecting while standing there on ideas and thoughts and started looking at it from a deeper perspective. And I can just imagine people looking from their windows, this guy standing by a door looking down and like, is he coming in? Is he all right? Mm -hmm. But then perspectives came in and I started thinking about, okay, this wooden wedge doorstop is doing something more than just holding this door open. And then it suddenly clicked. There are people in my life that have held the door open for me so that I could go through and find my way. There are many doorstops in my life, which have been these individuals. And I catalog this as an experience, meaning if I just left it at that point, I would never remember that story. So when we look at it here, I've taken something ordinary like a doorstop, but added purpose and meaning where it reminded me of the people that have helped me in my journey get where I am. Those are my doorstops. And I've, I'm thankful for those doorstops, although I will never call them a doorstop. <laughs> well, so is it almost like mm -hmm. looking for the symbolism in life for yeah. ordinary things? Yeah, totally. It, I mean, I, you could make them into analogies or metaphors, but it is the fact that we have all of these experiences and the idea is that, you know, I try to highlight this with people because oftentimes we go through autopilot. We do the usual routine and then the routine carries on to our work environment. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've finish that, then the routine continues and we go home. And I always tell people, what if you took a different route today? What if you instead challenged yourself? Let's say you work frontline uh, in a service industry and you challenge yourself to say, in the next 10 customers, I'm going to make one of them smile. 
and you start adding that, that starts becoming the extraordinary and the ordinary. It doesn't have to be epic. It's these little things that we can do that highlight it. But the whole process then becomes a story if, if you choose it to be a story. And those stories don't have to be epic. I mean, there's some tremendous things that have happened in my life that I've captured. But there's also the small things that I still recall and still remember when I'm speaking at a conference or speaking to my class, I bring that in because it's it's been that whole carpe piece and now it's captured as an experience. So what's your favorite story to tell about your life? Uh, years ago, back in 2004, I went to India for the very first time in search of my grandfather's house. All I had was a faded photograph and very little information. These were people from my village. And what I'm holding is this orange tinged three and a half by three and a half picture faded of people from my village. You can't even really make out the faces. But it wasn't just about going to India to find my grandfather's house because it, we were so separated from that. We had become so global where my grandfather left India in 1905. He wound up in Fiji. My parents, my father was born there from Fiji. He, uh, my family immigrated to England. I was born in England. Then we immigrated to Canada. And the part that was missing for me was this Indian cultural identity. And it was like, I'm Canadian, British, Fijian, and Indian, but I never really could realize that Indian background. So I thought I'm going to go to India to find my grandfather's house with that faded photograph, very little information. But I also want to go and experience it and, and maybe capture my Indian heritage, my Indian culture. Well, it was an interesting journey, an interesting place, because I don't think anything will ever prepare you for India. You will experience magnificence, and you will experience extreme poverty. It taught me that I'm a traveler, not a tourist. A traveler wants to experience. A tourist just wants to see, but doesn't want to experience. And I, I wanted to get the full effect. Uh, I needed to see the poverty and injustice, but not from a voyeur standpoint to say, oh, like I've seen it, really understand it. And I found that so many people that even the poverty piece, they demonstrate such resilience. And it, it just was amazing to see this resilience in people. And the journey took me to some far off places in India that you know, I, I just sat there and reflected and it, it added this purpose and meaning. But it was a difficult search. Part of it, I'm a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me in search of a needle in a haystack, but not sure where the haystack was. And I don't know how it happened. But by some coincidence, after some setbacks, I actually found my grandfather's house. Yeah. Wow. And, and the idea, though, is because I, I wrote a book about this, mm -hmm. but the idea is it's not even that I found the house. It's the journey that took me to find the house. That's the beautiful part of this. But I also found my cultural identity. So this is why the book is called Lost and Found, mm -hmm. Seeking the Past 
and finding myself because in our Indian culture, there's a, there's a dish. Uh, it, I always like how everything revolves around food, but there's a dish and it's called a tali and it's a platter with segmented dishes. So I'm British, Canadian, Indian, and Fijian. I also for 11 years played in an Irish military pipe band. So there's a little bit of Irish chutney on the side as well. But everything was segmented in my life. Mm -hmm. But by going to India, my realization, and I had an epiphany, was I'm not the segmented dish, which I always lived. Instead, I'm this rice dish, which we call kichdi. And kichdi is, uh, you, you get the rice, you go to your fridge, you pull these vegetables, whatever you have, you add them to this rice dish with all your spices and flavors, and it's a blend of flavors. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize I'm a blend of flavors. I'm not segmenting anymore. So I embrace all of it at the same time. And that's what this trip really taught me. But it was a, a magnificent journey into my own past, my ancestral past, and this realization of who I who I've become. Why? Is it important to understand that cultural connection? Yeah, I think because there, there was this void in me to say, physically and visibly, I'm Indian. And people would ask me, what part of India are you from? And I'm like, well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. No, no, no. Your parents, what part of India are they from? Well, my parents come from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia. <laughs> well, are you, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, yeah, my grandfather's come from India. It was important because I think that was a part that seemed to be missing in my life is a deeper appreciation for that Indian culture and Indian heritage. It's there, but it was never present. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a void that I felt. And I mean, growing up in Vancouver, Canada, in my school, there was maybe out of a population of about 500 kids, probably maybe 25 visible minority kids. Now, at, at that stage, you know, you're, you're just blended in and you're just going through life as a Canadian. When I hit university, it was a much more global community. And I started seeing some of my friends who come from these far off countries and far off places. And I felt like I was missing something because they would be talking about certain aspects, which I might remotely have heard of, but I didn't know a lot about. Mm -hmm. So I needed to then go in search of this. It was, it was also the fact that um, when I was nine years old, my father had an industrial accident and he became a paraplegic. And, you know, he's still with us and he's done a lot for us but he's never been to India. And I, and I really felt like I needed to do this for him. Mm -hmm. And I was so determined and I had this persistence that I really wanted to do this. I actually took Ziploc bags with me in my pockets on the hopes that if I find this village, I went out into the fields in front of my grandfather's house, I scooped up dirt and I brought the dirt home to him as this comes from our roots. This is our ancestral place where, you know, for generations, this is where our ancestors came from. So it was a, it was a beautiful moment. You know, it's funny that you did that because there's something so powerful about the earth beneath your feet. Mm -hmm. 
You know, when I go back home, you know, I'm from Louisiana and when I go back home, it just feels different. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, you feel more grounded. Yeah. So for you growing up in all these different places, where do you feel the most grounded? Actually, that's where the blend happens. I mean, I'm Canadian. I mean, that's where I've spent majority of my life. But whenever I go back to England, I still go back to the house that I was born in. And it just, again, it's, it's this place that just resonates and sits with me. Uh, when I went back, when I went to Fiji for the very first time, all of a sudden it was just this connectedness that says, these are my people. And again, going to India, it, it suddenly made me realize I wasn't that foreign. And I, I mean, I, I stood out like a sore thumb. People immediately knew you were a foreigner, but you were able to communicate. Uh, I can speak the language to, I mean, conversationally, I can speak the language. Mm-hmm get laughed at a lot because you say wrong and things like that. But equally at the same time, you know, it's like, sounds like a duck, looks like a duck, but is it a duck? We don't know. Um, You know, there's many types of ducks. Um, So I think that's, that's part of it. And one thing, Michelle, that I thought was also interesting is people said, you know, Sam, that's a beautiful story you've shared, but there's no way I will ever find, you know, my ancestral roots. And I always say to my, to them, you know, where does, where does your roots go to as far as you know? And, you know, they were like, you know, one person I was talking to said, you know, it's, it's Sicily, but we have no record of any of the towns or any of that stuff. And I said, okay, but if you went back to Sicily and walked the streets, doesn't matter if you find a house, a street, a town, a village, doesn't matter. Does it connect you as much like you've just said about Louisiana? Does it, does it feel some level of connectedness? And I think people have a sense of belongingness because then it's like my ancestors came from here and this is part of who I am. So even if you can't find the exact location, I, I feel I was very fortunate and persistent in my journey you can still have that experience. Like if, if India, for example, if I didn't find my village, I still sort of had this sense and feeling that I was in a place that just connected me and it, it felt right where I was walking the streets and just going to the temples and experiencing it. Something about it just made it resonate. And I tell people, don't go in search of exactly what this is and then feel that there's a major setback go in with this open mind of my ancestors were here. Like this is where my roots come from and let me embrace it. You know, that's interesting because um, African-Americans have a unique experience in that Mm -hmm. most of us don't know where we come from. Right. I mean, people say Africa, but Africa is a continent. It's not a country. So it, it makes you feel like, wow, how do you even begin to figure out, you know, obviously there's been DNA yep. advances where they can uh, supposedly match you to different peoples in specific mm-hmm. regions. But I think it's, it's I, I remember doing like family tree projects and things mm-hmm. like that and just feeling like, okay, we're stuck. How would that translate for 
mm-hmm. African Americans or you know Afro Canadians. Yeah, well, and and that's that's a really good point because it I think, you know, I'm two generations removed from India, mm-hmm. and you know there wasn't a lot of historical records for the people that were brought over from Africa to the United States or Canada. And, you know, so it's, it's more like you've been transported to this place and generations later are just like, okay, well, here I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think part of it again is maybe, you know, like you say, through that uh, DNA testing, the ancestral piece, maybe there's, a way that you can zero in a little bit on maybe there's a there's a part of Africa and I agree with you Michelle like it's such a huge continent I mean I've I've been to the Egyptian side which felt more Middle Eastern but it is North Africa all the way to Zimbabwe and South Africa but haven't been in the middle part but it's a big continent and you know and and it's also the idea which India is very much like this is it's not homogeneous, it's heterogeneous. Like they're just because somebody comes from, uh, let's say Zimbabwe, they're gonna be totally different than somebody who comes from Cote d'Ivoire or Sudan. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, I think if you are doing the DNA testing and you can come up with an, it doesn't even mean you have to really connect with that individual. But if you see somebody that uh, all of a sudden, you see a, a bit of a pattern that there's maybe Sudanese or Ethiopian, like, you know, maybe that's a place where my ancestors came from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's important to you, and, and again, to be fair, Michelle, not everyone is really interested in uncovering their historical past. Uh, but for those who are, I think that there are tools that are available that, again, you may not be able to come to the exact location, but if you were to show up in, let's say if, if it was Kenya, if you show up in Kenya and you've got, you know, five of my uh, DNA connections come from Kenya. So maybe this is where, and do you feel again, a sense of belonging and connectedness? You know, it, it doesn't have to be the fact that I'm looking for this house or looking for this person, but just this sense and feel, I think that, you know, the earth provides you this universal piece of, yeah, something feels right about this place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested a little bit in your journey mm-hmm. to how did you just decide to do this? Right. I think it had been accumulating over the years. Mm-hmm. And it was this realization that nobody in my family, and the only thing, like I said, I had was this faded photograph. It's a thin thread that separates my ancestral past from the present. And if something was to happen to me, no one's going to pick this up. And our generation, it's going to be lost forever. Like it it literally is like the ground has opened up and taken our village into the abyss, never to be seen, never to be heard again. And I don't know, the other part, uh, Michelle, is I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. I love that space. And if all I had was a faded photograph, very little information, and it's so many people who said, I think you're searching in the wrong place. Uh, the, you know, why are you even bothering to search for this? You may not even get a good reception. I put all of that aside and I said, here's what I need to do because of this thin thread that connects me to my past. 
and our ancestral past, but also something that I wanted to do for my father as to find this place and, you know, just be able to, and if, and my father was like, if you don't succeed, don't wear this like as a, as a failure or a setback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't wear this as a failure or a setback. Uh, go there and experience the country for its, you know, for all it is, because he had never been. And he just said, you know, I want to hear what it's like. I want to know what did you experience? And that's part of the reason that I went. But it, there was something that said, this is something I need to do. And I sparked it. And I, I started doing my research. I even did uh, Punjabi speaking classes because I knew I was going to head up north. And mm -hmm. uh, I can speak Hindi, but Punjabi is a different dialect and I can understand Punjabi, but I needed to sort of work on that more. Right. Then I was asking people who come from the region, have you heard of this? And, you know, they heard of, they heard of the district and maybe the town, but they never heard of the village. And, you know, so again, the ambiguity and uncertainty really engaged me. I mean, could you imagine if it was as simple as get off the plane, get into a vehicle, hop on a train, get to this place. And then you, you sort of know where this village is and you come to a house. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. That's, that would be easier, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as much fun, but um, I don't know. I, I like to throw myself in that. So, and it was amazing because there's a woman in this photograph because again, we had many setbacks, mm -hmm. got to this house showed the picture or our, our driver showed the picture and this woman standing there amongst a few people looked at the picture and she said that's me who are you guys <laughs> are you and serious seriously that's wild and it turned out that my grandfather left the village when he was about 17 years old mm -hmm. he was the younger brother but he had an older brother and the woman who recognized herself in the picture was the daughter-in-law of my grandfather's older brother. Like my entire ancestral family is right there. Wow. Yeah. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely amazing. I think that journey, mm -hmm. I mean, it has to change you so fundamentally, especially going to a place like India that's so rich in culture. Yeah. And and the way you described it remind me it reminded me of Haiti when I went to Haiti and mm. that you see such magnificence mm. on the one hand, just these, just beauty. Yeah. And then you see such abject poverty yep. and then you see the resilience and the laughter and the just, I would call it haughty kind of cheekiness of the people. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, okay, y'all have got this under control. I certainly don't need to come here with my American thoughts about it you know what i mean and they're so willing to share yeah you know that's the just the give from this place of wanting to make you happy mm. yeah beautiful wow sam i don't even know what to say the story has blown me away um we're almost at the top of the hour tell people how they can get your book how they can connect with you and I mean, you do speaking engagements, all kinds of things. Share with the people how they can connect with you. Sure. I mean, easiest way is you can always come to my website, uh, which, you know, is quite straightforward. It's www.sam-thiara, my last name, T-H-I-A-R-A.com. 
that's where I've got about 180 blog posts that's accessible and available to people about life experiences. My books are there, speaking engagements. LinkedIn is another way. I mean, uh, find me on LinkedIn and connect with me there. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. So you can always see the happenings that I'm involved in and where I am. I mean, I speak for a living. I teach, mentor and coach individuals in life and career. I write, um, helping nonprofits. Uh, it feels very comforting where I am in life and uh, you know I, I just feel that the more that I am given the more that I'm supposed to be sharing that's beautiful that's a beautiful sentiment well Sam thank you so much for being on somewhere in the middle with Michelle Barard uh, Michelle I greatly appreciate this opportunity and I just want to share my tagline that the quote that I live by Everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. We're all living stories, and there's a need for us to be sharing our stories. I want people to move forward with confidence to say that you have stories that need to be shared. Well, that's our show this month, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michellebarard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you tune into the show on November 18th when my guest will be men's mastermind coach and podcast host, Christopher Burns. You can find us once a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.